Hello and welcome again to another edition of Lost in Science Half an Hour on your radio where we talk about science things, well, and things related to science. Um, so science adjacent? Science adjacent, yeah. <laughs> My name's Stu and on the show this week I'm going to be talking about something that might be familiar to some of our listeners, the phenomenon of the hangover. Oh, nah. Not don't our know, listeners. Don't know about that. Never, never heard of it? Never <laughs> Yeah, it's never darkened my doorstep. Oh, that's that, you might you might be one of the people I'm going to be talking about. There are people lies do lies. There are people in the world who claim that they <laughs> do not get hangovers. Yeah, there are also lies in the world. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's true. It, it may be fake news. <laughs> Claire, what have you got for us this? Well, week? actually, my story fits in quite nicely with this one because my cure for hangover is um, chips, hot chips, hot chips. Yep. Hot chips. Um, and my story is about salt. And um, yeah, this. this And vinegar? Have you got any thoughts on vinegar? Mm, so tasty. Such a tasty well, story. The, the salt might even be the cause of a hangover because we all know these pretzels are making me thirsty. These pretzels are making me thirsty. <laughs> and this salt story will make you thirsty or not. I'm because I'm thirsty thinking about it. I, yeah, it, it is. I'm, I'm quite thirsty. Lucky yeah. I've got a glass of water next to me. Um, so this, this story is all about how salt might not make us as thirsty as we think it does. It, there's some new research that's come out to show that um, it doesn't work in our bodies and our bloodstream in the same way that um, we think it does, that we learnt in high school. Anyway, um, you should definitely keep listening to this story because it does have research from Russian cosmonauts in it. Okay. So that's pretty cool as well. And Chris... Well, I'm speaking of cosmonauts. Yeah, I am exploring a different kind of space. Um, I will be speaking to uh, a musician, Charlie Marshall, Melbourne-based singer-songwriter, who has put out an album of science songs. So I'm going to speak to him about his influences and why why science uh, is is you know gives us a deeper view of the of the universe, um, which I think that our listeners probably are all on board with. But hey, if you can put it to music, then why not? They can all sing along when we get to that one. Stay yes. tuned. Everyone pretty much seems to have a hangover story of some kind, uh, whether it might be about their worst hangover ever or often a foolproof way to avoid getting a hangover. And there are some people in the world who claim that they never get hangovers at all, ever. Until they turn 25 or 30 and then they're like, oh, this is what you're all talking about. <laughs> that, that, that took me by surprise. <laughs> I thought you were all lying to me. <laughs> I thought I had magic powers for a second there. <laughs> but, you know, you might think, what's this got to do with science? Well, until relatively recently, people didn't really do a lot of research into hangovers. But a Dutch researcher named Dr. Joris Verster 
is pretty much, from what I can tell, the world's uh, leading authority on hangovers and what what they are, what they do, uh, the effect on people, how to measure them, all sorts of these sorts of things. I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure that many scientists have started research on hangovers and just kind of like forgot what they were doing halfway through and... I don't. I don't think giving himself hangovers oh, okay. was, was part of his research necessarily. That may have inspired him at some right, point. Right. Okay. Um, but he's been researching the field of drinking culture and drinking habits, especially among young people, uh, for a number of years. So last year he published a paper looking at whether energy drinks mixed with alcohol led to higher alcohol consumption among students in the UK. Oh, okay. Uh, a lot of people thought that this was a big problem. They were assuming that drinking behaviour was, you know, people drinking more when they were drinking uh, energy drinks with their booze uh, and that they would also have an added risk of dangerous behaviour while they were drunk because they had all this energy from their energy drinks. Um, And the research found that people who consumed alcohol mixed with energy drinks sometimes did actually consume more alcohol overall than people who drank other alcoholic drinks that weren't mixed with energy drinks. So people who drink alcohol and energy drinks do drink more overall. Well, they have more energy to drink. But. (laughs) It's like a really hard thing to control for confounders. But they also found that on the occasions when those people did mix their alcohol with energy drinks, they drank less on those occasions. So they're they're actually having energy drinks and alcohol and that's breaking up the number of drinks that they're having because it's, you know, they're, 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 Maybe they may be having an energy drink and then an alcoholic drink and then an energy oh, drink. Oh, okay. So that right. they, so they're know, spacing they drink, they their alcoholic yeah. drinks. So they drink less when they're drinking the energy drinks. So okay. it kind of it kind of didn't show what people were expecting it to show. That people thought they were mixing them. Yeah, but they're not. Yeah, they they didn't seem to be. They're still young hooligans, though, weren't they? Well, they did. No, they had they had less um, less Science dangerous. Doesn't judge. Like you, Chris. Less less dangerous <laughs> incidents related to alcohol oh, consumption good. when they were drinking the energy drinks okay. as well. You're so surprised. Yes. Yeah, I am surprised. Is, the the young people are, have not let me down. Oh, I have let... Well, right. <laughs> anyway, carry on. So potentially problematic alcohol-related issues that they did avoid yeah. also were hangovers. So With um, energy drinks? Yeah. They because up they drank right. less Oh, because they drank less... Oh, right, yeah. So... The standard advice people share about hangovers is fairly similar once the alcohol is consumed. People tell you to drink water before you go to bed. Uh-huh. Tried that. Uh, eat, a, eat a big... <laughs> Tick. Tick. A big greasy fried breakfast when you wake up in the morning. That'll yep. alleviate your hangover. Or eat a burger or a or a kebab before, before you, you go, go to, to bed. bed. Yeah. 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 Always Definitely remember, don't take it to bed with you, though. No. You'll wake <laughs> up next to your kebab. Um Take painkillers before sleeping. Try people, that. Yeah, people yeah. say to do yeah. that. Um, Chips. Chips. Like we said, yeah. Yep. Eat, Chippies. Eat while you're drinking. So eat food yeah. with your alcohol. I mean, all these things are foolproof. Absolutely. As far as uh, I'm and concerned. We've, we've all heard them all before. And the reality is that none of them have any real effect on reducing or preventing a hangover once the drinks are drunk or the people who drank the drinks are drunk. Um. So people who did eat after drinking, according to this research, either in the evening before sleeping or after they woke up, did report feeling slightly better, but statistically it wasn't really enough to make him say, oh, there's actually an effect. Because, because their responses, uh, uh, their responses, they were still hung over within the usual range of symptoms they reported on other occasions. So they, they may have been 
you know, felt slightly better and said they felt slightly better, but it, every all of their descriptions were still the same. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. they just they they felt better because they'd had breakfast. Basically, is is what he's uh, what he's saying. So advice always comes back to the obvious conclusion: don't drink so much to start with. And it seems like good advice. Nobody complains of a hangover when they didn't drink too much, presumably. But what about those apparently lucky souls who claim they mm. never get a hangover? Even when they do drink too much. So do they have some kind of superpower? Yeah. I'm, I'm sort of thinking like back to my friends who say they have, have, haven't ever had a hangover. Are they fitter? Are, like maybe they're, you know. Do they have some sort of metabolic yeah, processing met- yeah, power that, that we don't possess? Um, well, is there something we can learn from them basically? Is what yes, I want to know. Can we dissect their brains? Yes, we, we yeah. could. We could. That would that would probably feel worse than a hangover, but uh, <laughs> make me feel better. Look, it turns out, according to the research, there is an explanation, and it is related to their behaviour. So we can learn from their behaviour, um, and the answer is they drink less. So, according to Dr. Verster's research, people who say they don't get hangovers, actually drink less than people who report getting them frequently. Is this a surprise? No, it's not. But the people who are saying they don't get hangovers think they drink as much as everyone oh, else. Oh, right, okay. I see. So yeah. they're, they're, they're misreporting their own behaviour when he's, you know, he's gone out of his way to measure how many drinks they've had and their body weight and all these other things. So so they aren't, they aren't liars about not getting hangovers. They don't get hangovers. It's just that they lie to themselves about how much they drink. Well, they're, they're, not, they're not drinking on a par with the people who do get hangovers. <laughs> so to say they're not getting hangovers is to say, you know, it's like saying, well, I don't get cold in the winter. It's like, no, because you moved to Queensland mm. or something. Yeah. So sometimes you get people who drink really expensive drinks and they say, oh, if you drink this one, it's really good quality. You don't get a hangover. Probably because it's so expensive. They're only you sipping. don't want to get another yeah. one. <laughs> they've, they've had two drinks and they've yeah. gone, oh, well, I've spent all my money yeah. and I'm just going to hang around for the rest of the night. So, yeah, they th- these people overestimate their alcohol intake uh, as being above the level of intoxication that they think is required to result in a hangover. But objectively, they just don't drink enough to get a hangover. So it's true they don't get a hangover, but it's not because they're putting themselves in the position where they should get a hangover. They're just not getting to that level that all their mates are. So perhaps these people do have a superpower in feeling satisfied with fewer drinks than their friends. Um, But the real reason they don't get hangovers is actually, according to science that they don't drink much. to admit that I do. Yeah. yeah. Chris? Well, does chicken salt count? <laughs> yeah, it's still salt. I mean, I don't think it's got any chicken in it, but <laughs> okay. it certainly has salt in okay, it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Olives? Yeah. Yeah. 
Salty soups. Feta cheese. Oh, my God. So good. Um, oh, yeah. Pretzels. Mm. Yeah. Everything no. tastes better with salt. Uh, right? Salted butter. Salted caramel. <laughs> salted butter tastes so much better than unsalted I have to, butter. I have to sift through the unsalted <laughs> butter at the supermarkets. Where's the salted butter? Yeah. <laughs> um, so there are two things that I know about salt. One, it's delicious. And two, it makes you thirsty. Um, but, spoiler alert, um, there's some... Very interesting new research around salt that uh, challenges what we know about it making us thirsty, what we understand about the association between thirst and salt. Are you going to turn that world upside down here? A little bit. Okay. Yeah. Um, So what most people would understand about salt, what I learned in high school, so salt, sodium chloride, one sodium atom, one chlorine atom, right? Yeah. Yeah. NaCl. NaCl. we we need uh, salt. We need sodium. It's an essential mineral for our bodily functions. It's um, we need it for regulating blood pressure and in the transmission of nerve impulses. Um, and sodium levels in the blood must be carefully maintained by your body. So if you eat a lot of salt, your sodium levels in your blood increase, and this triggers a sort of physical response, and you become thirsty and you drink some water, which then has the effect of diluting your blood enough to maintain a proper concentration of sodium in your bloodstream. Mm-hmm. And then with any extra uh, salt, you um, your kidneys kick in and you pee it out uh, with excess water, the excess water that you've just drunk. Okay? Okay. So, so you're basically flushing the salt out with the water. Yeah, flushing the salt out. Yeah, any excess salt from that um, those salt and vinegar chips that you just ate. With the excess water. With the excess water, yeah. So this is what we all learnt at school. Um, but weirdly enough, Russian cosmonauts are proving that um, this our understanding of salt in the body is a bit more complicated. So Did they have these, to go to space to figure this out? Okay, so they didn't have to go to space, but... They were um, in training, so they were held in isolating. Uh, they were held in isolation as part of their training, so for over a hundred days. And I guess when you've got um, um, when you've got two Russian cosmonauts in training, you can do all sorts of things to them. You can just you can you can feed them whatever you want mm. and do some very stringent tests on them. Also, I imagine they'd be very bored. You know how, like, when you're you're waiting for your your meal and you're very bored, you just play with the salt packets and the salt shakers. They're probably doing all of that. <laughs> well, they didn't give what, them you... salt shakers. They were on a very strict diet. Okay. Um. So the researchers totally messed with their with the salt in their diet. Um. They put them on a low salt diet, and then they put them on a medium salt diet, and then they put them on a high salt diet, and they looked at how their um physiology reacted. Um. Like most of us would be, people who enjoy salt in their diet, the cosmonauts were pretty peeved when they were on the salt, low salt diet, um, and exclaimed that they didn't like the taste of the food. It tasted like cardboard. All right, I'm paraphrasing there, but I'm sure it tasted like cardboard. That's what they said in Russian. In Russian, exactly. Yeah. I'm not going to try and do a Russian accent. No, don't. <laughs> anyway, so while they're on these diets, um, Dr. Titze, the one, the uh, main researcher who's been um, who's been instrumental in our new understanding of salt in this this research, measured the amount of sodium um, that was extract, um, excreted in the crew's urine. So looked at the sodium concentration in the urine, looked at the total volume of the urine, um, and then looked at also the amount of sodium in the blood. So looked at blood concentration, urine concentration, and then urine volume. All right. 
Um, and as expected, when the crew ate more salt, they excreted more salt. Um, and the amount of sodium in their blood remained constant, as we would expect. Um, and then the urine volume increased accordingly. But then the researchers then looked at how much water they were drinking when they were on these different salt levels. And what they found was when the astronauts were on a high salt diet, um, they were drinking less water, which is weird because you would think you would have been drinking more water because salt makes you thirsty. Right? Right. Yes. But even more strangely is that they were excreting more water than when they're on the low salt level. So, so they're when they're drinking were, less, yep. but, but urinating more. Yes, exactly. So, so yeah. does that mean they were getting dehydrated? Yeah. Yeah. So the water had to come from somewhere and was, and was coming from their bodies. Um, the researchers then, maybe time was up on, with the cosmonauts, so they then transferred um, their research to mice. <laughs> I think this might be the only scientific study where you, you go from, you start backwards. on humans and you go We've to mice. We've got captive humans, but we're not allowed to have access to them anymore. So we'll <laughs> yes. just go back to using mice. Exactly. So they started looking at mice models in the lab and found that the more salt in the mouse diet, the less water they drank too. So it was exactly the same thing in the mice, in the mice than it, that it was in the humans. Um, but then they found that the reason for this they put forward that it was hormonal. So this high salt diet was increasing um, a glucocorticoid hormone in their blood. Now, glucocorticoids um, are a hormone that directly influence metabolism. Um, So that is how good and efficient you are, I guess, at using energy. So this is – so the rats and the humans, even though they weren't drinking more water when they were on this high salt diet, um, they had an increase in activity of their metabolism in their bodies. So the increase in this glucocorticoid, this hormone, was breaking down fats and muscles in their bodies, which was then freeing up water because one of the byproducts of this metabolism was water. And so they were then using that water to pee it out. So the salt was breaking down their body tissues or causing their body tissues to be broken down and they were melting. Well... (laughs) Releasing extra water. Releasing extra water, yeah. yeah. Which, um, which helped flush all the extra salt out of their kidneys. Which helped, yeah, flush all the extra salt. Um, which meant that, I guess, you know, this is quite an energy expensive um, process. And then and they observed that. So the, mat, the, the rats had an increase in energy intake. So they were eating 25% more than they would normally eat. When they were on this high salt diet, they were eating 25% more. So it was increasing their appetite as well as increasing their metabolism. So salt doesn't make you thirsty, it makes you hungry? Is this yes. what you're saying? Salt makes you hungry. Exactly. So that's and it's why you want to eat more hot chips. Yes, exactly. So um, renologists, renologists, people who study kidneys. Yeah, sure, why not? Yep, all right. Um, have likened this to a human camel moment or that... Uh, you know, camels have, they travel through the desert. They've got no water to drink. Um, so instead of drinking, they um, they break down the fat in their hump and that's how they can um, they can keep water, keep themselves hydrated. So, um, I, Chris, you're looking at me quite puzzled. Um, if you thought that maybe camels just had water in their hump. Oh, no, no, I'm not. I'm puzzled by the whole <laughs> thing. It's not just the camels. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, um, yeah. So pretty much this is this is what what this is humans being like camels. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some people say space research is a waste of money. That's right. That's right. Um, it's probably a good time to say that although this study was meticulously completed, um, it hasn't been repeated yet. So don't go starting your own high salt diet for weight loss just yet. Or No, because it wouldn't because like, it would make you hungrier. Yeah, it would make you hungrier. Yeah. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. Charlie Marshall is a singer, songwriter and guitarist who's played with many of Melbourne's finest bands as well as his own bands, Harem, Scarum and The Body Electric. Now, though, with his new group, The Curious Minds, who are Claire Moore, Brian Collichen, Tim Dean and Andrew Watson, Charlie's put out an album called Sublime, which is all about the wonders of science and nature. And he's come into the Lost in Science studio to explain why he's done this. Uh, Thanks for coming in, Charlie. No worries, Chris. So, yeah, okay, the question is, why record an album of songs about science? Because mm, there are so many other people doing it. <laughs> no, because um, no one else has done it, so someone's got to be the first. Um, it was mainly because uh, I've been writing songs ever since I was a teenager and um, I started off writing about the usual things of relationships and, um, you know, uh, love songs and all that sort of thing, and um, uh, but then um, I and I've been playing for ages, gigs and that. But then I, I I sort of stopped playing. I took a bit of a break from music when I sort of got my first proper full time job that was ongoing, and became a science teacher, and I had kids. So I, and and I'd, I'd been getting a bit frustrated with playing music because playing in little bands around you know the same place all the time it can get a bit frustrating so I, I really wasn't thinking about music that much but um but just at some point because i was thinking about science so much and uh just lyrics started coming into my head um and uh yeah the whole all, all the songs of this album sort of it was the fastest i'd ever written songs they all came together in a few months okay this is about two years ago and I, I really wasn't really planning on playing music really in but I thought these songs are so kind of different I gotta get back into playing and do some gigs and record an album so that's how it happened yeah so yeah like you said that you are you are a science teacher so you do you do know your science yeah well I, I teach uh, I work for a company who gets booked to go to primary schools every day um, and bring in equipment and, and do uh, different types topics so I am a very a generalist as a science teacher goes so I mm-hmm. uh, Plus, I did a science degree in um, genetics. Um, I'd loved science since I was a teenager and got a telescope when I was about 12. You know, astronomy was the first thing I got into. Um, and I've read uh, over the years so many um, popular science books uh, by, you know, lots of great writers like Richard Dawkins and Stephen Jay Gould and lately Brian Cox and all you know, people like that. So. As a generalist, I'm 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 pretty widely read, and um, and yeah, I've been teaching for so many years and reading for so many years. I've got some pretty good knowledge. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, I've had the um the album here on CD, which only has one side, obviously, but there seem to be two sides <laughs> on the. On yeah. The well, it is on vinyl as well, so it's okay, got two yep. sides. Yep. And one of those sides is on physics. Uh, so I guess what you know. Yeah, first side is physics and the second side is ecology. So, yeah, it starts with physics because 
physics is the bedrock of science. Um, and uh, I love physics because it's about the very large and the very small things in the universe, which are both fascinating. So, you know, it studies the sort of limits of knowledge, the biggest things, well, the universe itself. I mean, one of my great interests is cosmology, you know, theories of how the universe formed. Um, and, uh, and I also love atomic theory and subatomic physics because it's about these infinitesimal things. Um, and I mean, that, well, that was really where the title sublime comes from. The, you know, physics reaches into those sublime areas, which uh, take us out of our normal reality into, um, you know, wonders of the universe. Uh, yeah. So, and I also love physics because of its great explanatory power. I mean, it's, you know, the way a few theories can explain so much. And, and that kind of relates to the second side, ecology, because ecology is all about, you know, connections between living things. But physics is sort of the ultimate connecting tool. I mean, it, you know, these few theories can connect so many phenomena in the universe. I, mean, I just, I just find that amazing. And, and the more you learn about it, the more you, you, you find that, you know, there's this underlying order, which is mm -hmm. um, fantastic. Yeah, you do touch on quite a few bits there. I see you've got, yeah, as you said, the creation of the universe. You've got everything rotating and this kind of mm. stuff. You've got... Uh, sort of starts with creation and then um, solar system forming, rotating. Yeah. And um, and then look at the different um, people who studied physics as yeah, well. Yeah, then guess. we go do a bit of uh, cosmological history. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about the song "Not a Cruel Machine." Um, what is what does that mean? The yeah, well, that that one's about um, uh, a scientific worldview generally, and how um, how wonderful it is to me, and how uh, I find it a bit sad sometimes that some people don't get the wonder and beauty of the scientific worldview. You know, people particularly who regard themselves as very spiritual, maybe in you know, a little bit new agey perhaps. And um, I think science is cold and rational and maybe even callous and maybe even cruel, you know, that, and, and it's quite an ambitious set of lyrics, that one. So it also crosses over into the religion, which is sort of a bit similar to science, you know, over the history of science, they were like enemies and science was sort of sucking the, spiritual uh, spirituality out of the world in the eyes of a lot of religious people so it's it's about trying to turn that around and say so it doesn't have to be that way and um you know uh science can actually like i was saying before can uh show an underlying order and beauty in the mm -hmm. in the universe yeah okay so yeah, that the 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 deeper the deeper meaning of things and the scientific viewpoint is then defending that essentially. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, um, so the um the ecology section then. So what's um clearly that's that's the kind of thing I guess is is um is more got a got a bigger message I suppose for us to to apply in our um, yeah. Well, I mean, because uh, you know ecology nowadays becomes inevitably political and social in its ramifications because we're stuffing it up so much yep. <laughs> because we're into the Anthropocene where um, uh, human beings are the, the um, biggest effect on the uh, ecology and the um, uh, global systems of the planet. So, yeah, the second side's about that and uh, touches on 
not so touches on Gaia theory and stuff like that because that's like the sort of ultimate um, ecological. Uh, that's the expression global of, theory. Expression of the Earth as a giant superorganism. Is that yeah, true? yeah, which which I find interesting for its symbolic um, ramifications. Uh, I mean, most scientists would not think that it's um, uh, lit- would not take it literally as a as a description of reality, but um, it's still, I think, one of the most important uh, theories of the last few decades because of its, um, you know, ability to change our perception about the the uh, the planet. And you know, it's not surprising that it was developed around the same time as the Apollo spacecraft was sending mm. back pictures of the the first time we could see the whole planet. So, uh, yeah, I find that really interesting. You know, how ecology, you know, merges over into sort of like I say, political and social um, perceptions and ideas. Mm. Is it really that kind of that yeah, that theme of the the sublime, that that bigger view of of the mm. world and nature? Yeah, definitely. So, so where can people find your your record if they want to join in on this? Yeah, well, pretty it's pretty easy to find. Um, it's it's on Spotify and iTunes and all that. But um, uh, better to go to my Bandcamp uh, website or my website charliemarshall.com.au where you can get it directly from me, and so I get more than 0.01 of a cent, which is what I get on Spotify. Okay. <laughs> and it's in a few uh, record shops around Melbourne as well. Okay, and the album is called Sublime. It is Charlie Marshall and the Curious Minds. Thanks for coming in, Charlie. Uh, I think we we're going to try and play a track from it now. Fantastic. Just this wondrous ever 
That was Not a Cruel Machine by Charlie Marshall in The Curious Minds. And for those who are in Melbourne, uh, Charlie will be launching his album on the 17th of June at the Spotted Mallard. I believe you can buy tickets online. That's all we've got time for on this episode of Lost in Science. Thanks for tuning in and joining us. Lost in Science is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. If you want to talk to us, talk back to us, uh, you can get in touch. We have a Gmail account, lostinsight at Gmail. Uh, You can also find us on Twitter and on the Facebook Uh, And if that's not enough lost in science for you, you can always tune in again next week where the team will once again get lost Lost in science. science!